Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 41 of 2, 5, and 10. Benny, it doesn't seem like there's a more fitting song at this point. As quick as that rebuild started, the rebuild's over, baby. The Rangers are back from the dead. The sun is shining a little bit brighter today and yesterday. Birds are chirping a little bit louder. The flowers are smelling a little bit nicer. And my God... I think they've done it again. The Rangers have won uh, this summer, just like they used to do way back in the day before the salary cap. I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop because things have been going a little bit too well for a little bit too long these last few months. So, I mean, is that good, bad? What are you thinking? I mean, it's fantastic. It's just I've been preconditioned as a, not even just a Rangers fan, but as mostly a New York sports fan, to expect somebody to tear ACLs or die off the ice somehow and take a look at Mojo with them. All right, well, one of those Mojo things, I guess we'll jump right into it with you boys, is you land the big dog in the sea, get Artemi Panarin, but one thing is your current projected cap space at only $8 million, and you still got Brendan Lemieux, Pavel Buchnevich, and Jacob Truba all as restricted free agents. That's going to be tough to fit everybody in there. Uh, I wouldn't even worry about that right now. First of all, Panarin, $81.5 million, $11.642 million cap hit uh, for the next seven years. Slides right into the first line with Mika Zibanejad. Cap space, the Rangers will figure out out. They'll buy out Brendan Smith and save about $4 million on a the cap there. Uh, I could see them definitely trading... Uh, Pavel Buchnevich, or hopefully not, but Chris Kreider, since he's has one year left on his deal before free agency. And there's always that Kevin Shankirk uh, trade where they eat half his cap hit, too. So I think they'll be able to fit everybody under the cap. Um, I think pretty much right now they're done with free agency and uh, acquiring any type of roster player through trades. If they do trade anybody, it's going to be for futures, either picks or prospects, just to clear out that cap space. Well, let's jump into that Panarin story. Um, everyone thought he was the worst-kept secret in hockey and was going to Florida in the offseason. I mean, we believe that. I think everybody else around the league believed that, going to reunite with Coach Q. Um, hard to deny the South Beach weather. Um, come to free agency, Mike Commodore reports the day before that the Russians are indeed a package deal and both Bobrovsky and Panarin are going to Long Island. And then we see that Columbus is making an attempt. They were throwing 12 at them. I believe the Islanders were also throwing 12 at them. And then he ends up settling for 11.6 here with the Rangers. I, I was laughing because someone said he took a pay cut. I mean... When you're making eleven six a year, I don't think that four hundred k you're really missing. Um, what were your thoughts as all this was going on? I mean, in the sense of you don't think you have him, you don't think you have him, and now it's like, holy shit, he's he's coming to play here. Yeah, I mean, there it's been rumored for months now that he either wanted to play in Florida or New York, and whether that was with the Rangers or the Islanders, no one knew. Uh, but I think, like you said, everybody thought he was ticketed for uh, South Beach. And like you said, we heard Columbus tried to make that last-ditch effort, even though they had to know that he wasn't going to take that deal. Uh, you got to give him credit for 
at least making the effort there. Um, when July 1st rolls around and he turned that deal down, you didn't really hear much of anything with Panarin and the Rangers. You mostly heard Panarin to Florida, and then very early in the morning you heard that him and Varlamov were going to go to the Islanders. Um, and then something happened. The Rangers traded Jimmy VC, cleared out his just under $3 million cap hit for a very minor return, just a 2021 third-round pick. And once that happened, I knew something was up, um, whether it was going to be him or they're going to be offer sheeting somebody. And then word came out that he left about a million and a half dollars per year on a table from the Islanders to sign with the Rangers. And at the press conference, when the Rangers introduced him, he said that if he was going to sign in New York, there was only one franchise that he was going to sign with. And boys, it was not in Brooklyn. The only other thing with it, too, is you hear the rumors, the back and forth. But to me, I mean, even if the Islanders were throwing him that money, that whole uncertainty part has to play mm-hmm. a factor. Like, there's no way. Like, I don't care how much money you're playing me. If I have to up and relocate every year, I'm not going to be happy. My family's not going to be happy. So on that end, I mean... Obviously, he made the right decision whether he's going to live outside the city, in the city, whatever he's going to do. You hear the stories from Kevin Hayes as to how good (laughs) of an organization the Rangers are in the sense of how well they take care of you, where you don't even have to cook your own dinner because the chef has it ready for you at the practice facility. You take it home, you heat it up, you're good to go. So on that end, I mean, absolutely. And then the other thing would be the travel alone between you're going to Long Island for practice, but then you're playing in Brooklyn. Like, I know we've harped on this so many times and throughout this year, but, I mean, that has to play a massive, massive factor, just the uncertainty part of it. I agree, and that's probably why one of the driving forces behind John Tavares leaving, that's another reason why Panarin probably didn't go there because, like you said, practice on Long Island, playing Brooklyn, are they going to stay in Brooklyn? Is that arena in Queens going to work out? Are they going to move to a completely different city and state? Like, how pissed off would you be if Panarin, who's wanted to play in a big city, signs with the Islanders because they're in the New York metro area and then they relocate to, like, Quebec? So that's got to be in the back of his mind. They almost lost Anders Lee, their captain. Uh, he ended up staying once they struck out on Panarin. But the Islanders are not a free agent destination right now just because of the uncertainty. They have the cap space. They have an owner that's willing to put in some money, but it's all the optics of everything else around the organization. And like you said, the Rangers are the complete opposite. Original six team, history and tradition. They have the money. They have the cap space. You know what you're going to be doing. You know they're a top flight organization. And it, it was probably really tempting for him to sign with Florida and reunite with Quenville, but it's New York, man. It kind of beats Sunrise Florida. I get that part, the New York beating Sunrise, and, I mean, we could get into the weather discussion and all that other bullshit, but you want to talk about uncertainty, too? If Florida was going to throw him all this money, like, they claim in the red every year, like, for bankruptcy. Like, they don't make enough, and that's a reason why players and the escrow and everything else that goes into the yearly bullshit is the way it is. So with him going there, if he went there, to cash in that has to be in his mind too that at some point i mean 
they're probably going to fold. I know we have talked about yet again the whole lease situation with that arena, the fan base, everything else. But eventually something has to give down there. Yeah, the interesting thing is you're right that the Florida Panthers as a franchise do not make money in Miami. But the arena and the owners make a profit every year because of the arena itself with uh, concerts and other events that take place at the arena. So the Panthers lose that ownership uh, group money, but they kind of make up for it with everything else. So Gary Bettman said, I think it was last year, maybe a year and a half ago, that he told Viola, the owner of the Panthers, that it's time to put up or shut up. Like, you guys got to start making some inroads here. Otherwise, we're going to have some tough conversations. And you got to give him credit. He brought in Quinneville. He brought in Dave Talon. They've drafted and developed well. They brought in Bobrovsky. Uh, they tried to bring in Panarin. They had some backup plans once he went to the Rangers. So they're trying, man. They're trying. It's just a really good young team. I hope that it starts turning things around. But, yeah, we've talked about it before. I wouldn't be surprised in, like, five years if Florida is somewhere else. The only problem with Florida was the NHL ruined them. And everyone's going to say, why is it the problem? No, no one ruined them. When Scott Mellonby killed that rat and they were allowed to throw rats onto the ice, they showed up to the games. Now that they can't throw stuff on the ice, they're not going. Let Florida throw rats. Let people get into the building. That's it. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't help that they were a basement team for like a decade. So that kind of whittles down any casual fan support there. And Miami's a terrible sports city outside of like the Miami Hurricanes football team. So it's just not a great market, especially for hockey. I mean, you look across the state and Tampa Bay has a fantastic fan base. They've won a Stanley Cup. They're a contender every year. They have no problem financially. So it's not that Florida won't work. It's just the two organizations, you can just follow them along once they enter the league and see all the different avenues they took and where they went wrong and where they went right. Well, speaking of different avenues, we had our first offer sheet in God knows how long. Benny, give them the info. Six years. Give them the info. Six years. The Ryan O'Reilly offer sheet uh, with Colorado was the last one. Uh, but the Montreal Canadiens signed Sebastian Ajo, the young 21-year-old franchise center from the Carolina Hurricanes, to a five-year, $42.27 million contract. Uh, the annual cap hit was $8.45 million a year, which on the surface doesn't seem too bad. But the Canadians front-loaded it uh, with two uh, bo- uh, signing bonuses. The first year they were going to get a he was going to get an eleven point three million dollars signing bonus and then a nine point eight seven million dollars signing bonus in the second year. Uh, that was their way of forcing Carolina, which is not in strong financial uh, situation here, to fork up twenty one million in hard cash in two years. Um, I want I'm curious about your thoughts on if you think they went high enough with the contract with in terms of the cap hit, um, because it did come in the shade under the next tier of draft pick compensation. Um, and also if you're Carolina, does this create a friction between you and Ajo? Uh, if you're with Carolina, I don't think there's any friction there just with 
they matched it within a day. It wasn't like the Shea Weber or the Ryan O'Reilly where they waited a couple of days and weighed out their options. The next day they said, no, we match game over your hours. The other end of it was, like you said, they came in just under that other cap. And I read an article on TSN as to how Montreal did the league a favor in that sense, because with them coming in lower on that end, I think people going after Marner kind of changed. So with that, I think that whole tear system, because it only would have been a first, second, and third, as opposed to four firsts, that changes things. Going forward, I did hear another rumbling, too, that um, the owner in Carolina went bananas. He was fuming, and he's already has his eyes on Montreal at the end of next season and the season after when Kopitniemi, I believe that's how you say his name, he's restricted. Max Domi's restricted. There are a whole bunch of free agents. I heard he gave Don Waddell the green light to just go after any one of their guys. So whether he's going nuts or whatever it may be. Um, what do they say? It's uh, revenge is a serve best serve best, a best, a best dish serve cold. I mean, I don't know if he was just acting out of anger and frustration. We don't know if they were already having talks with Aho and as to what happened, but yeah, I mean, Montreal forced their hand, but I don't think they forced it as bad as it could have been. No, I mean, they could have signed him to a seven-year, $12 million a year contract, given a four-first, and front-loaded it with an even larger signing bonus, which they can afford. And then I'm pretty sure Carolina would have had to let him walk. Mm-hmm. Um, so from that point of view, if you're going to go after one of these restrictor free agents, go after him. Don't half-ass it. I think that's what this kind of did. It, they thought that they would be able to sneak him through because of the $21 million signing bonus in the first two years. And then it was kind of odd, Bergevin, and even Ajo's agent kept talking about how much he wanted to play in Montreal and he signed for a reason and he wanted to join a young up-and-coming team, blah, 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 which is like kind of a pot shot at Carolina, which is a young and up-and-coming team that made the conference final this past year. So I don't know what was going on there, but if you're Montreal, you got to do it. It's like... If you're going to sign Mitch Marner to an offer sheet, you got to sign it to a seven-year, $12, 13000000 million a year offer sheet because you got to make it where Toronto's not going to match if you really want them. Or it just comes off as you're fucking around with another organization. Yeah, I'm with you on that, too, that they actually talked about it after. That seemed extremely strange to me because even up until that point, he was still Carolina property for the seven days. So to still discuss how they were a young up-and-coming team and everything else, it was almost like he wanted to be let go. And yeah, yet again, maybe that's ownership. We've heard a lot of things about how uh, the ownership there since they had the new group has changed a little bit. We've heard rumblings. I mean, where would you rather play, Carolina or Montreal? You go to Montreal, you're a god. You go to Carolina. Carolina. Like, I don't know. I mean... I got to be honest. I would I would rather play in Carolina. I do not want to deal with the horseshit that horseshit that goes with playing in Montreal. Oh, like the mob? Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. Um, the thing, like you touched on the response from Carolina. It's interesting because Don uh, Otto, the GM, his response was, "Well, now I have the rest of my summer to myself because I don't have to worry about negotiating with Aho's camp on their contract extension because now it's already done." Um, even if 
Tom Durden, the uh, owner of the Hurricanes, wanted to like go after Montreal. He lost, I think it was $70 million in his investment in the Alliance, American Alliance Football League, or whatever it was called. I don't know how much cash flow they have going there where he can just start front-loading deals to all these guys and keep his other young restricted free agents that are going to be coming up in the next few years. So it could be just out of frustration, but if he's going to start letting decisions be made out of emotion and not out of thought, they're going to screw themselves over. Yeah, and I mean, for like he already said, to give Waddell the green light and at the end of this year and the end of next year to start going after Montreal's guys, like... You want to go after someone, go after someone because you want the guy, not just to respond. That That's just my only thing. But Yeah, apparently Montreal, before they went after Ajo, were talking to the agent for a Braden Point in Tampa, and then they just changed course and went after Ajo. So the thing with Carolina, one last thing about it on my end, you have a full, what is it, seven days or ten days to respond? Seven days. Seven days. I would have taken all seven days, not out of anything towards Sebastian Ajo, but Montreal can't do anything else until those seven days are up if you take all seven days because they don't know cap space. They don't know if you're going to let Ajo go, so then they can't offer sheet another guy. You can basically freeze their offseason plan for a week while all these other teams are making moves and then keep Ajo anyway. So that's a little bit of gamemanship I feel like that Carolina could have participated in. No, I agree because... Montreal, splash-wise, I mean, this was it going after Ajo. They didn't really sign anybody of any significance. So with that, yeah, you're absolutely right, because you could have locked him up for seven days and then said, yeah, well, we are going to take him back, and then now you didn't sign anybody or put out any other offer sheets, so now you're kind of sitting there at ground zero again. Where do we go from here? Who's left? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so first offer sheet, I wish it was more... I guess, intense in terms of if they were going to match or not. Uh, but we'll see. Marner's still unsigned. Braden Point's still unsigned. I think Miko Rantanen is still unsigned. So there's still some very, very good young forwards out there available. Your boy's still unsigned, uh, too, Kachuk. Oh, yeah, Kachuk. I, I think the Rangers, that ship has sailed for the Rangers. I think <laughs> we're set up right now. <laughs> but, yeah, he's still unsigned. Um, moving on to another original six team, you know, what a difference a week a week makes here for Toronto. Uh, a week ago, uh, they were having a deal with trying to sign restrictive agents Andreas Janssen and Kasperi Kapanen. Sightsef wanted out. Uh, they had just dealt Marlowe to clear cash space and gave up a first-round pick. They weren't really negotiating with Mitch Marner. They were still trying to find a way to find a top four, preferably top-pairing right-hand shot defenseman. And a week later, they have... Janssen and Kapanen signed. Uh, they've trade. They made two pretty big trades uh, to get them closer to being able to sign Mitch Marner. The first trade was uh, trading Saitsev, Connor Brown, and Michael Carcone uh, to Ottawa for Cody Cece, Ben Harper, and Aaron LeChuck in a third round pick in 2020. Ottawa is slowly turning into Toronto Maple Leafs East with these trades and free agent signings that hired DJ Smith who was an assistant coach in Toronto as a new head coach. Thoughts on the trade in terms of, I know they had to get rid of Saitsev, but what the return was and thoughts on CeCe. Uh, CeCe, I mean, kind of a par for the course defenseman, stay at home, uh, has a little mean to him, nothing too crazy. I'm with you, Zaitsev wanted to get traded. 
you have the trade it's available crazy to actually see these interdivision rivals conducting business that usually never happens um the Leafs also had to let go of Connor Brown which I think hurts their depth a little bit and Ben Harper um they get Ben Harper back I think he's going to be an up-and-comer for them and he's not that much money which definitely is a convenience for uh, Toronto at this point as for Luchik and Carson I mean I don't really know too much about them two AHLers on that end it is what it is but their other trade they made with Colorado holy shit like can I can I go on about Cody CC for a second here uh, you can go about him I'm ready for the other one <laughs> yeah so Cody CC you know everybody in Toronto and around the hockey world had fun beating up Saitsev uh, one because of his contract and two because of his play he was overvalued because of his contract and forced into top four minutes which really screwed them over I didn't know it would be possible to downgrade from Saitsev, which is what they did with Cody Cece. Oh, yeah, I know he's downgrade. 25. Mm-hmm. I know he's a big body, right-hand shot defenseman. He contributes some offense. But I'm going to lay some stats on you here because I've been waiting. When this offseason started, I spent time looking for a right-hand shot defenseman that the Rangers can possibly trade for. They ended up with Truba. I looked at Cece, and holy shit, the advanced stats are brutal. So according to Natural Stat Trick, 204 defensemen have played 1,500 minutes or more in the past three years. CC ranks 201st in Corsi 4, 203rd in uh, Corsi against, and he also ranks 200th in expected goals for percentage and 187th in expected goals against. He's been one of the worst regular defenders in the past three years. The Senators have bled shots from everywhere when CC is on the ice, and the worst part is if you look at his heat map for where shots are given up when he's on the ice. There's a massive red spot right in a slot, which means when he's on the ice the last three years, the Senators gave up an extremely high amount of high-danger chances. This guy is terrible. I know he's a young guy, which gives him some leeway. I know he put up some good numbers his first few years in the league. But they downgraded defensively from Saitsev, and I didn't think that was possible. So I know he fits what they needed on the right-hand side, but... I think they did not get better at all in that trade, and they gave up a nice role player in Connor Brown to do so. That added away. Now we get to your favorite trade of the offseason so far, I think. Oh, yeah. Colorado and Toronto. Nassim Kadri. I'm going to just give the big boys right now, but Nassim Kadri for Tyson Berry. Go ahead. I mean, we can get into the other part of this after, but... You want to talk about a one-for-one where Toronto wins and completely upgrades? This is it. And I know this is a one-year deal because he's unrestricted at the end of the year, and he's going to get paid. He's going to get paid handsomely. Because last year of a $2.75 million deal, Tyson Berry's about to go to 6 or $7 million a year. Easy. Uh, Nazem Kadri on the downslope. And, you know... Joe Sackick talked about it and made it funny as to how are you going to kind of put the reins on them and this, that, the other thing. And all he said was, oh, well, we're just not going to play Boston in the playoffs. Yeah, you know, that's funny and everything else. But I don't know if this makes Colorado better, getting rid of Tyson Berry. And they retained half of his salary. I know, granted, yeah. it's only one whatever it is, one, four, five. But, like, seriously? Like, that's awful. 
Nazem Kadri. <laughs> and the other thing is, too, they give up Alex Kerfoot. I know he's a very undersized forward, but the kid can play puck. Like, I saw him yeah, play at Harvard. He, he is a very good, nifty player, and I think he's going to fit right in with this Toronto lineup. I think Toronto just, like, absolutely wiped the board with Colorado here, and maybe it was just Colorado knew they didn't want to sign Barry long-term, and, you know, Kadri was the biggest name that they had knocking, and they went for it. And on that end, sure, I guess it is what it is, but that defense definitely upgraded. I know CC's a downgrade, but Barry, Muzzin, like, nah, we're, we're going to do good. CC's there, yeah. We're, we're going to fill some roles. So I'm very interested to see as to with Colorado retaining half of that salary, if Dubis and the Maple Leafs can come to a deal with Marner. Th- that's like, just all it's leading into now. Yeah, so the full trade is Nazim Kadri, defenseman Callie Rosen, and the third-round pick in 2020 to Colorado for Tyson Berry. Alex Kerfoot and the sixth round pick in 2020. I, I'll go with Toronto first. So yes, they get Tyson Berry. It's going to be interesting if they're going to try and fit him on the top pair with Morgan Riley, two very similar players uh, who aren't really known for the defensive chops, or they're going to try and force feed CeCe on that top pair, which would just be terrible, obviously. So it's going to be... I think that's one of the storylines heading to camp for Toronto is how their pairing is going to mesh up. Uh, Muzzin playing with either CeCe or uh, Barry is a very easy pair to go with. And then you have Harper and Dermot on a third pair, potentially, which isn't that bad at all. They could afford to trade Kadri, one, because they needed to remove his cap hit, but two, because he's playing 3C in Toronto. And that's a luxury that they couldn't afford anymore. And I think he's, you said he's on a down slope of his career. I think he's going to have a very good year in Colorado the next year or two. Um, he's a 30-goal guy. He's going to get second-line minutes and major power play time in Colorado. He's going to be playing uh, with better line mates than he was playing in Toronto with because he usually ended up playing with Connor Brown and uh, Zach Hyman. So we'll see there. I just, this is basically a push all your chips to the center for one one year for Toronto because CC is going to be gone after a year. He has a one year left on his deal and they're probably going to not tender him, um, which is probably one of the reasons why they made that sidestep trade because, yeah, he's a downgrade, but they'd rather have him for one year at $5 million versus sidestep for four more years at $4.5 million per. But like you said, Barry's a free agent at the end of the year. They probably won't be able to retain him then because they have to sign Riley. They still have to sign Marner. So it's basically, this is the year to do it. They have to core together. They have one more year to do it. And then they're going to have to start making some tough decisions in Toronto. For Colorado, actually, and Kerfoot, by the way, like you said, great pickup. He's going to slide in on a third line at center. He can play either wing spot. He's going to be a very good pickup for them. But for Colorado, I think they... Also had a very good deal. They needed offensive depth. They got that with uh, Kadri. Uh, they picked up a third pair, sixth, seventh defenseman, and Rosen. Um, they knew they were, weren't going to be able to keep Barry long term, so I think they shipped him while they could. So I think both teams kind of got what they were looking for here. I think Colorado is set up better long term, but next year, 
I think Toronto wins the trade just because of Barry being there for one more year. Yeah, I mean, you look at Colorado's D end was already good last year through the playoffs. Now you add Rosen in there and you have Johnson, Cole, Barbario, you got Kevin Connaught and Kale McCarr. You got Samuel Gerard, who's definitely going to play this year. Yep. And you got Zadorov on that back end too. That's... And he just picked up uh, their third overall pick was who again? Or fourth overall pick? Oh, crap. Yeah. Bainum? Yeah. So he'll be coming through the pipeline soon enough. But you're right. You look at Colorado on the other end of it. If Kadri doesn't play with the big three there, so Ranton and Landis Goggin McKinnon, you still have other guys. They just picked up Don Scoy. They have yep. Colin Wilson back. They have Matt Nieto. They have Tyson Yost. And they just traded for Barakowski. Yep. So, I mean, they might be able to get something going there again. And just one more minor move that Toronto made. Uh, they signed hometown boy Jason Spezza. One-year deal, $700,000, basically the league minimum. Um, some people talking about him being the fourth-line center. I don't know if that fits. Like, yeah, he can help out on your power play a little bit, but is he really a guy you want to throw out there on a the fourth line? I see him playing 3C. Um, at least to start the year, see how that works. Have uh, Kerfoot on his left side, uh, Kapanen on his right side, and then see if he can kind of get him sparked and going a little bit more. Um, but I think a very underrated depth signing for Toronto with Spezza. Yeah, well, he's he's now their Marlowe, except he's 10 times cheaper. Like, <laughs> like if Marlowe was only costing them 700 k there's no question they would have kept him. But obviously, bad deal. That extra year, you, you referenced it the other day. We'll get to it in the... Uh, Pavelski signing that the after that third year it ended up killing Toronto. So yep. a one year, seven hundred k veteran minimum. Like they have nothing to lose here. And if Jason Spezza scores fifteen twenty goals, even better. Uh, moving on to just some quick hits of other free agency that happened on July first. Pretty much has died down in the last two days. NHL free agency, which is good for us, just because we able to get our agenda situated here but in florida i know they missed it on a panera and they signed uh sergey Bobrovsky to a seven-year 70 million dollar contract he is now the second second highest paid goalie in a league behind Carey price they also signed brett Connolly, noel achari and anton strollman uh all told the panthers committed 104 and a half million dollars in free agency on monday alone I think for them, that's it's huge. The biggest thing for me is the Bobrovsky deal. I think it's two years too long. I think it should have been five years at that same money each year, that $10 million. You're When you get to a 37-year-old goalie, like you don't know what you're getting. And for me, it's like you cut him off at 35, you see how the year goes, you, you kind of put him on a year-to-year, -year, you give him a couple of years. If he ends up, declining even in the least you're paying 10 million dollars a year for a declining goalie yeah that's no bueno like yeah and that's that's the thing because even this past season in columbus he was getting benched for stretches of games at a time because of his poor play and i know he turned it on once the playoffs came on and like the last month of the season but he was not prime Sergei Bobrovsky for about three quarters of the regular season last year and he had hits free agency and he gets seven years 70 million dollars and like you said I think they had to overpay just to get him a guy like him to sign there in a way but they were negotiating against themselves 
what other teams needed a goalie? The Islanders? I don't think he wanted to go to the Islanders. He wasn't going back to Columbus. He was definitely not going to Calgary or Edmonton just because of their cap situation. So where else was he going to go? Carolina wasn't going to sign him. So it was basically Florida or taking a cheap deal somewhere else. So I think they could have definitely... $10 million a year is fine, but yeah, I would have tried to go 4 or 5 for Borowski instead of the full 7. Well, yeah, I mean, you look at the Strawman deal and 5-5 five, five for three years. Did they overpay a little bit? Yeah, but at the same time, they would be cutting ties with him at 35 just to see what he has at that point, and then you can restructure a deal for the next year. Like, I just feel like nowadays in the NHL, if guys make it to 35 like a god bless them but b like their <laughs> output from before is not what it was like we we've seen it in everyone lately that's been declining like they hit a certain age point and then it just kind of starts to plateau and that's it and i i just expect a little bit better for the best free agent goalie on the market that the team signing him would be a little bit more cautious for their own their own sake Th- that's all and you got to look at it this way. If you're trying to make a statement in South Florida, would you rather pay $70 million for the next seven years for Bobrovsky? Or would you do everything in your power if the Rangers are still in a rebuild to trade for Lundqvist and have two years at $16 million? Yeah, no shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, like, uh, we'll see. In a few years, we'll see how that deal looks, but that could. If that deal tanks, I think that tanks hockey in South Florida, to be honest. Because this is their last go-around. They put all this money into the team. All the young guys are ready. They're on a roster. They're ready to do this. They have Quenville as the coach. If they can't turn us around now, they're probably going to have to fold up shop down there. Um, moving on to another southern hockey market, the Dallas Stars making a pretty big splash on July 1st. They signed former Sharks captain Joe Pavelski to a three-year, $21 million contract. And then they also signed former Duck Corey Perry to a one-year, $1 million contract that includes $1.75 million in bonuses, which is in addition to the $2 million that he will still get from the Anaheim Ducks because of his buyout. Great deal on both ends. I mean, I know you referenced the three-year part of it for Pavelski on Facebook there. The only thing with me is Pavelski scored 40 goals last year. I, I do not see a rapid decline by any means. And now you throw him in with the likes of Jamie Benn, Tyler Sagan, Corey Perry, Radulov. Like, I think he's going to be fine. I think Dallas has made some really good moves here. And after their push last year where we had him out in the first round and they made it to the second in a very hard-fought series with the Blues... I think they could even take another step forward this year. So I'm kind of anxious to see as to what the boys down south have in store for us. Yeah, because the thing is, Pravelski has this style of game that even if his goal scoring kind of falls off as he turns 37-38, he can still play a solid shutdown defensive role. Marlow, once his speed was gone or his hands were gone, he wasn't really going to contribute much more. So that third year for Pravelski doesn't worry me as much as the Marlon deal with Toronto did. So, yeah, great deal. Keeping it at $7 million, I think, is great for cap management. 
the Perry deal, you know, we talked about him the last week or two uh, as a possible target for the Bruins on an incentive-based deal. He decided to stay out west. I think he's another guy. Low risk, high reward. If He has to score 20 goals in four years just because of injuries and everything else. But if he comes in and he plays on Pavelski's wing and he pops in 15, 20 goals, you got a 20-goal score for, what, $2 million, $3 million? But on the flip side, if he doesn't regain his uh, scoring touch, you pop him on the third line, he's going to be a pain in the ass to play against. He's going to be a pest. So he still can, can, can contribute in other ways. So I'm on the same boat with you. Two great signings for a team that has three really good young defenders. They have a Vezina finalist in goal and Ben Bishop. They have a very good defensive structure. And now they add to their top line uh, to provide some some scoring depth behind them, which you saw how much they took off once they got Zuccarello uh, to help their power play. So Dallas is on the up and up. Up and up and up. <laughs> uh, speaking of Zuccarello, uh, he signs a five-year deal with the Minnesota Wild, uh, getting $30 million, so $6 million AAV on that deal. Uh, I know he's former Rangers, my boy, uh, the Norwegian Hobbit, great player, great guy. But I don't know what Minnesota is doing in the sense of the deal with him and Ryan Hartman. I just don't know what direction they're going in. I think it's an overpay for the five years. I think it's an overpay for $6 million a year for a secondary score like Zuccarello. I thought at most he would get four years, maybe five at most, and like four, seven, five to five, five million dollars a year so a little bit overpayment on both term and money uh for Zuccarello there what do you think no I'm with you on that I know there was a lot of interest in him so if he followed the money and that was his leading cause then you know more power to him but yeah it's definitely a slight overpay and the cast around him there not really that good you got Zach Parisi who's usually hurt for half a season anyways you have Jason Zucker, you have Koivu, who's way past his prime. And then after that, Victor Rask, Eric Stahl, Marcus Felino. you got the Hartman deal like you did, like that. Greenway. Deal too. Greenway, I mean, Greenway, he's a big body, but, like, I don't know. Their D, I think, is fine, but their offense, even with this signing, still needs some severe work. Like, it's just yeah. not good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll get into my... Th- Thoughts on Minnesota. We're going to have a little winner-loser uh, for, for the offseason so far in a little bit. But, yeah, I am I'm, have no idea what um, they're doing down there, over there in Minnesota. Uh, speak, staying out west, you talked about Panarin going to Florida as the league's worst-kept secret. I think this was the worst-kept secret. Matthew Shane signs a deal with the Nashville Predators to become their second-line center. Seven-year deal, $56 million, so an $8 million a year cap hit. Uh, the Predators have been after him for years now. They finally get their guy. Do you think that it's a good deal contract-wise, and how do you, what do you think the fit is? I mean, I will stay away from their bottom four, and I'll just give you their highest paid going down, and you tell me if it's a good fit. Ryan Johansson, $8 million. Matthew Shane, $8 million. Philip Forsberg for a steal at six. Kyle Turris, six million. And mind you, they used to play together in Ottawa. Maybe uh, they get some mojo back together. Just throwing some stuff out there. 
Michael Granlin, 5.75. Craig Smith, which is last year of his deal, probably an overpay. You got Arvidsson there at 4.25, Nick Benino at 4.1, and then Kaye Yarncroke at 2 million. Yeah. And then, I mean, there's a couple of guys under there Austin Watson, Mika Salamak. Yeah. But, like, just those top nine guys, that's three lines coming at you solid. And I think their biggest issue before was scoring depth. I don't think that's an issue now, or it shouldn't be an issue on paper, at least. Like, I think they can be consistent here, and it's huge. Their D is still in core, even though they traded away Subban. Ellis, Yossi, Ekholm. They have Fabro coming up. They still have Matty Irwin. They still have Yannick Weber for depth on the back end for really short money. I like them. I know I'm biased. I know I'm biased to Nashville, <laughs> but I like them. Yeah, that basically ended up being P.K. Subban and... You know, the side resources that they gave up in that trade of New Jersey to clear room for Matthew Shane. So they got uh, Steve Santini, Jeremy Davies, two draft picks, and Matthew Shane for Zuban and, and a couple of futures. Um, the thing for me is, do Shane, he played really well for Columbus. He had a nice year to start out with Ottawa. He is, his whole game is built on chemistry of his line mates. And I know that. Sounds like a cliche when it comes to a sport like hockey, but if he if he doesn't have the right fit with his linemates, he's just not going to produce. And you mentioned that he played with Kyle Turris previously, but Turris has been such a disappointment in Nashville, and he has that cap hit. I don't know if they try and move him or push him to the wing and see if he can fit with Duchesne. But that again, that's two smaller kind of finesse guys in the same line uh, playing your top six. I don't know how that would work. I mean, they had to make the deal. I'm not bashing the deal at all. I'm just, for their sake, I hope they have the guys in the locker room that's going to be able to step in on his line and fit with him well. Well, we'll, we'll just throw out uh, Matt Duchesne at center, Philip Forsberg at left wing, and Michael Granlund on the right wing. I think Grand- that'll be pretty good. I think Granlund's going to have a big bounce back year, but we'll get to that later in the summer. Um Besides that, we have the goalie carousel that happens. Uh, some head scratchers. I'll start off with Edmonton signing Mike Smith to a deal instead of going after you know a younger and better goaltender. I know they were cash strapped. They signed him to a one-year deal. Uh, for Alamov, ended up with the Islanders. He got four years, $20 million, which seems like an overpay for a guy that's coming off a few mediocre seasons. Robin Leonard. Poor, poor Leonard, man. Wins the vest, uh, essentially, and gets one year, $5 million with Chicago. Basically to either back up Corey Crawford or take the mantle of Crawford. Still deals with injury problems. Cam Talbot goes to Calgary. I actually like that deal on a cheap. Peter Morazic saves with Carolina. Curtis McElhaney goes to back up Vasilevsky in Tampa Bay. And Kincaid uh, backs up Carey Price in Montreal. Uh, anything stick out to you there? The McElhaney thing scares me a little bit. Um, if Vasilevsky goes down, I know he played really well last year, McElhaney, but to front the load that could be coming at him, that's a little iffy to me. I'm with you on the... I just scrolled up. Jesus Christ. No <laughs> Um I'm with you on the Camp Talbot deal. I think that's a great deal for Calgary, and... One year, 2.75, you really have nothing to worry about there. If he plays good, you throw him another year at the uh, 
on the other end. Um, I'm with you. It's very interesting, the whole Robin Leonard thing. As for going to Chicago and the whole thing behind Chicago, they can't trust Corey Crawford at all. And one other thing is their goalies now size-wise between Crawford and Leonard, like those are some big boys in the crease. <laughs> like you know how now in the NHL it's usually about flexibility and this, that, like those are some hefty boys playing in between the pipes there. So I'm interested to see how that one works out. For me, yeah, the Talbot signing is good. I think the Leonard signing, yeah, he lost out now. But I think Chicago gave him that one year because I don't believe they think Crawford's going to be able to be a number, true number one or franchise goalie moving forward. But I don't think they were sure enough in Leonard to commit more than one year in the sense of he had a great year last year. But before that, he had trouble finding a job in the league. And I know he's still young. So I think their hope is if Crawford isn't able to you know, run with it next year, that Leonard proves himself that it wasn't a fluke this past season. And I can see them giving him an extension before he hits free agency next summer and then just giving him the number one spot moving forward and having either Crawford back him up or buying out Crawford or whatever that case might be. Uh, I'm not sure about Morazic in Carolina. You know, he was a 1A quasi-backup guy in Detroit and he had a good year in Carolina. I don't know if a team that went to the conference final and is, you know, a rising team in this sport should rely on Peter Morazic. And lastly, the Varlamov signing and the Islanders. He's a good, he's a solid goalie, but when it comes down to it, if you're expecting Varlamov to lead you any further than what you just got from Robin Leonard, I think you're setting yourself up disappointment. They're basically bringing back the same team they had last year. And I don't think that's going to cut it in the Metro uh, in the division next year. So we'll see what happens there. Um, just uh, that whole Alberta goalie carousel thing was interesting with Talbot leaving Edmonton to go to Calgary and Smith leaving Calgary to go to Edmonton. And I'm not sure if any of them really upgraded that much. No, I was going to say, I do not think Mike Smith is an upgrade in this league. <laughs> with how unreliable um, he's been the last couple of years. So... We can go into winners and losers. Uh, I picked two winners and two losers on my end. Uh, just based, Maybe not just on July 1st free agency, but on their offseason so far. Um, but I'll give you honors if you want to go first. All right. I went strictly just off of free agency, not off of trades and or the draft. I, I just went off of July 1st and my opinion on it. I have winners in Florida and Dallas. I think they definitely improved. I had someone the other day on Facebook, right? Uh, that was going to be the Stanley Cup final this year, Florida and Dallas. I don't know. Oh, if, Jesus Christ. I, I don't think, would hate that. <laughs> yeah, like I don't think that's correct, but I definitely think both teams took a step in the right direction. As for the losers on July 1st, 2nd, and 3rd, because they haven't hit it all, I have Columbus, Winnipeg, and the New Jersey Devils. Um the Devils, on my end, to have as much cap space as they did, $25 million, and their only big-name signing was Wayne Simmons at $5 million a year on a one-year deal. Brutal. Like, <laughs> they have $20 million still in cap space. And there's rumors. I, I heard rumors. I even posted on the Facebook. I heard they're going to offer Sheet Monitor. Whether it's true or if it's not, I don't know. But they have... 
that much space that even if they signed him, they would still have $12 million. And it's like they have that much space available. So that could change their franchise if that happens. We'll see. Columbus, after making that big of a push at the trade deadline to try and win a cup and everything else, none of those guys are back as of yet. Uh, the only guy that's left is Dezingle, and I don't even know if he's going back there. Yeah. So Woof and Winnipeg, kind of the same thing. Um, they have a whole lot of cap space. I know they still have to pay line A, but nothing. Like, there was no anything from them. So on that end, You don't think Neil Pionk helps their defense core? <laughs> uh, not as much as you think. No, not at all. <laughs> yeah, so, so those were my... Winners and losers, strictly off of free agency, no trades or draft or anything else, just free agency. All right. I I guess I cheated a little bit. I included trades that happened since free agency started, so over the last few days. Um, so my winner is Florida Panthers and the Colorado Avalanche. Uh, we talked about the Bobrovsky and Strawman signings. Uh, they signed Brett Connolly, which I think is a really good depth signing uh, for them to add to their forward group. Nolachari is a good fourth line uh, penalty killer form. And then for me, the key is Bobrovsky. Florida had their second best power play last season, and they were a top 10 offense. So the talent's there. They just needed to get good goaltending. They went through four goalies last year. So Bobrovsky can be who he has been in his career. I think Florida has a shot to finish second in the division behind Tampa Bay this season. Uh, my other winner, the Avalanche, we talked about the Kaji trade. Uh, you mentioned they signed Don Scoy, which I think is a really underrated signing. Uh, he had very good uh, advanced stats out here in San Jose, and he was always buried on a third or fourth line. So I think if you give him 15 to 17 minutes of ice time on a right wing in Colorado, you might be surprised. Could, could become a 20-goal scorer. Burakoski trade. Uh, I like the Bellamar signing as well. Nice fourth-line center penalty killer, veteran leader. Kevin Connaughton, a nice depth signing for the back end. And they still have plenty of cap space. Uh, like I mentioned earlier with the Rangers, they might move a guy like Buchnevich. I could see Colorado trading for him, putting him in right alongside Kadri on that second line. Uh, my two losers, Minnesota Wild. Uh, we talked about the overpay for Zuccarello, but just the lack of direction for the organization. Uh, I thought they were rebuilding. They were training Zucker. Now they keep Zucker and they sign a 31-year-old free agent. Uh, he's the fourth uh, key offensive guy who's 30 years of age or older. Uh, Koivu, Parisi, and Stahl. Uh, they have a 34-year-old Ryan Suter. They have 29-year-old Jared Spurgeon and Greg Paterin. And uh, Devin Dubnik is 33. So they just committed themselves to another going to be past his prime early to mid-30s core team member when they were supposed to be rebuilding. So I guess they're not rebuilding and they're going to go for it again. Like, I don't know. I just have no idea what's going on in Minnesota. And my other loser, the Pittsburgh Penguins. Now, they trade Kessel for Alex Galchenyuk. Who knows if that's an upgrade at all. I know they want Kessel needed to be out of there. But they basically traded Kessel they traded Alimata to clear up cap space, and then they spent that cap space on Brandon Tenev. Six years, $21 million for a third, fourth-line penalty killer who contributes nothing offensively. In fact, his own coach last year called him a black hole on offense, and he just gave him six years, $21 million. 
Add that to Jack Johnson and Erica Branson on the back end. Three bad contracts in Pittsburgh. They're essentially stuck now because they're up against the cap. They're going to be returning the same team that they had last year, just not as talented. Uh, so, in a way, as a hockey fan, it's a shame because Rutherford, I don't know how he got elected to the Hall of Fame when he's still active, but he's essentially bogging down the rest of Crosby and Malcolm's prime with bad contracts and overpayments. So, right now, Pittsburgh is my second loser of the offseason. All right. And anywhere else you want to touch on? everywhere or touch on me i mean whatever you want <laughs> I'll, I'll get to that when i'm back on the east coast um i just kind of wanted to highlight some of the remaining free agents that are still out there even though it's kind of quieted down the last few days there are still a couple good depth guys uh that can help out teams out there you have marlo who's available uh thornton's going to be going back to san jose if he plays at all but marcus johansson i can see him ending up in columbus Justin Williams apparently is close to resigning with Carolina. Um, Vanek is available. Valeri Ishushkin uh, is available. It just bought out by Dallas, 24-year-old forward. Uh, Brian Boyle is out there. Dezingle, like we said, is out there. Michael Furland is available. Derek Broussard. Yeah, Patrick Maroon, uh, which apparently is not returning to St. Louis, which kind of surprised me there. Um, so some pretty good, solid like role players available up front. And on the back end... It's slim pickings, but you have names out there. You have Ben Lovejoy, uh, Jake Gardner, who his market's collapsed. Yeah, um, big Mark Mathot, Dion Phaneuf, Nicholas Cronwall. These are all names that were more relevant in NHL 2008. Um, <laughs> but the, the whole Gardner situation, if I'm him, I want to go to a market that's not going to be breathing down my fucking neck like it was in Toronto, but I don't want to go to a shit organization. So... I'm kind of, I don't know where his fit is at this point. And just a couple of like really depth D guys, just household names, <laughs> NHL, Derek England, Adam McQuaid, Dan Girardi. So if you're looking to just fill some roles with experience, they're there. They're available. <laughs> I, I'm Dan Girardi, the fucking snow, snowman. I had to throw him in there for you. Um. Great career for an undrafted guy, but yeah. Um, that's all I had in terms of what's already happened, and I just want to, like I said, to highlight a few names that are still out there. I think the Rangers are pretty much done when it comes to free agency. It's just going to be clearing out some cap space and signing guys to extensions. Uh, I don't know if you have any thoughts on the Brett Ritchie signing with the Bruins. I mean, the only thing for me is I don't know if Don Sweeney kind of fell into the dark hole that is the big bad Bruins in you give Brett. I mean, it's a one year million dollar sign. I'm not worried about it. That that's minimal money. The only thing for me is when you fall into the trap of, you know, we don't hit enough or we don't do this. We don't do that. So, you know, you sign one guy who I believe he only had three goals last year. Like he can't really produce. I don't know if you want him to go be that fourth line guy. Now that achari has gone, just a bigger body and, can jump in on a four check if that's what you're looking for then you got your guy but if you're looking for anything more out of brett ritchie like you're out of your fucking mind he's <laughs> i he's think been a great i think it was joe haggerty on twitter highlighted that every july 1st sweeney signs a four flying big body forward that doesn't score offensively last year was nordstrom the year before that i think it was butler or some some guy like that but every july 1st apparently he finds his one depth guy that he wants to bring on 
And and I'm okay with that. If you need one to fill a role because he's cheap and he's big, have at it. But, like, I know where our money is going. Everyone knows we have to re-sign Carlo. We have to re-sign McAvoy. We even have to re-sign Danton Heinen for whatever reason, even though that'll put us <laughs> But, like, yeah, it it is what it is. I think everyone knew we weren't going to make a splash in free agency just with all the other moves we have to make. But we'll see how the big fella plays out. Uh, you know, last week I wanted to bring back today in NHL history, but I made an on-the-fly decision not to just because it was about the Blackhawks beating the Bruins in a Stanley Cup final, and I felt it was a little too soon with my two very good Bruins fans friends to uh, bring it up. But I'm ready to go this week if you don't have anything else to add. Miss you, man. <laughs> Uh, all right, so today in NHL history for July 3rd, in 2006, Steve Eisenman announces his retirement after 22 seasons with the Detroit Red Wings. The Red Wings selected Eisenman with the fourth pick in a 1983 NHL draft and named him captain three years later. Uh, in 1979, and sorry, in 1970, Timu Solani was born in Helsinki, Finland. He is a first-round choice, number 10 overall by the Winnipeg Jets in 1988. And he becomes the all-time leading goal scorer for a Finnish one player in NHL history. And is inducted in the Hall of Fame in 2017. In 1998, see if you remember this one, one year and one day after signing future Hockey Hall of Fame goaltender Ed Belfour, the Dallas Stars signed forward Brett Hull. Though a 33-year-old isn't the same offensive force, he scores 32 goals in his first season with the Stars, and they go on to win the Stanley Cup on his contested overtime goal in Game 6 against Buffalo. Mm-hmm. In 2003, the Colorado Avalanche land two future Hall of Famers when they signed free agents Timo Solani and Paul Correa to one-year contracts. And in 2006, the Anaheim Ducks acquired defenseman Chris Pronger from Edmonton for Joffrey Luprel and Ladislav Schmidt. I like it. Who do we got for shout-outs this week? Shout-outs, I'm going to keep it simple, First Lady. And I'm also going to give a shout-out to everybody that has been buying all of my furniture as I prepare for the move. Thank you for the extra cash. Well, I am happy that they are providing you with more green. <laughs> um, I have, as always, the uh, the Big Red machine upstairs, Big Red. Um, I'm going to give a shout-out this week to the boys at work. We have been... Uh, We've just been having a ball lately. Like, all the other bullshit that's been going on, people getting fucked out of jobs, uh, you know, the push that we've been getting from management and everything else that we can still go to work and we can laugh our balls off every day. So, Georgie, Papa, Rocky, fucking Harry, Brennan, like, just the boys. I've just been happy with uh, the morale where they may beat us up, but they, they ain't winning. You know, we're winning this war, so. It's like a good locker room in a rebuilding season. Exactly. Like, you know, we all know we're going to get the company card at some point, and we're going to go out, and we're all going to eat at the Capitol and ring up a crazy tab. So we're just happy and prepared. That's all. The Capitol, 99, man. That's where it's at. 99, wow. (laughs) You're definitely coming back this way. Perfect. (laughs) Well, everybody, thank you for listening, as always. Um Enjoy your 4th of July. Remember, it's about independence. This is about America. And hopefully your July 1st for your team was as good as ours. And we plan on catching all you guys next week for another jam-packed episode of 2, 5, and 10. Thank you. 
let's look at a little courtesy this week of the red, white, and blue. My daddy served in the army. We lost his right eye, but he flew a flag out in our yard. Till the day that he died, he wanted my mother, my brother, my sister, and me to grow up and live happy in the land of the free. Now this nation that I love is falling under attack. A mighty sucker punch came flying in from somewhere in the back. Soon as we could see clearly through our big black eye, man, we lit up your world like the Fourth of July. Hey, Uncle Sam, put your name at the top of his list, and the Statue of Liberty started shaking her fist, and the eagle will fly, and it's gonna be here when you hear Mother Freedom start Courtesy of the red, white, and blue. 